Welcome to The Irony of Beauty, a fortnightly podcast hosted by skincare experts Fiona and Rose. They love a good chat and sometimes a heated debate about all things skin and nutrition, calling out scaremongering, misinformation and misleading marketing in an ever-confusing world of beauty and wellness. Please note, the information provided is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace qualified medical advice. So we're carrying on with our commonly asked questions because they're so commonly asked. We've got so many questions. Um, (laughs) The one I get asked all the time, and I've actually changed my mind about this one. I used to be quite adamant um, that you didn't need an eye cream. Um, And I used to think, oh, waste of time and money with eye creams. So that's something I get asked all the time. Should I be using a separate eye cream? And I used to be like, ugh. I'm, I'm not into them, they're a waste of money. But as I've got older, I have noticed my eyes get a lot drier now mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a bit more into eye creams, whereas before I was just like, no, I just, no, don't need one. Um, so I think if you want to use an eye cream, for sure you can, but you don't have to use one. But it also comes down to why you want to use one. So if you're using it just for anti-aging benefits, you can get those anti-aging benefits in a serum. So there are products that will do face and eyes and that would be my personal preference because then you don't have to buy multiple different products. However, if you want an eye product for depuffing, um, you know, sort of more of an instant tightening effect, brightening effect around the eyes, sometimes eye products do have specialised ingredients that will actually have a a firming and lifting instant effect. So I think I'm on the fence with eye creams. There are some good ones and there are some that I think are a complete waste of time and money. It comes down to the individual ingredients. Then you've got the little eye masks, which I think can be great when you're getting ready and you just want something that's cooling and, you know, depuffing. But a lot of them are very overpriced. So I think it comes down to what works for you. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Um, prevention against fine lines. I think eye creams are very good. They um, generally help with keeping the area protected and moisturised. A good eye cream will do that. And I tend to feel that clients will start to ask for eye creams as they start to notice a few little wrinkles and a few little fine lines show up, that's when people start to really think about it. Um, they can be quite effective for minimising the appearance of darkness under the eyes as well. Um, so there is a place for them, I think. Yeah, some moisturisers you can use around your eyes and that's okay. You know, if you are using a product that can be used on face and eyes, then, you know, continue to do so. But if you have... Um, a specific concern about your eye area and you are starting to notice fine lines, wrinkles, darkness, then, you know, eye creams are very useful. The right one, you know, the eye patches are fantastic. Instant hydration, instant plumping, especially if you're going out, um, that can make the eye area look really good. Um, And like you said, some eye creams are very good puffiness as well. So there's some really good products for eyes. Mm. I think the main thing to understand, because I hear a lot of people go, oh, my God, you can't use that around the eyes. It really depends on the individual product because when it comes to formulating an eye product, it's really more to do with the pH and whether it's going to sting your eyes. It's really the main difference. It's not so much the actives. 
unless for for aging anyway unless it is a product that is going to depuff and have some of them have like instant tensors and tighteners in them um which can be very effective so it really depends on the individual product and if you love an eye cream go for it if you want to have a one you know something that does everything then go for that as well and i i used to be really anti-eye products um because i thought they were a waste of time and money but now when i'm thinking i want something a bit more lifting and tightening i'm quite into them so i have changed Mm. my view on that yeah i think they're very effective i've done it both ways i've used um products on my face that are also designed to be used around the eyes and i've also used separate eye creams I do myself prefer a separate eye cream because it generally tends to be a lot heavier um, a much thicker consistency more protective Um, I feel like when I wake up in the morning my eyes are a lot more plump as well so you know I do personally prefer an eye cream because I know my eyes are also not going to become irritated um, and that's a big thing as well sometimes ingredients that are in facial products aren't designed for the eye area and you know, let's face it, it's an area that is, is very delicate. You need to be very careful about what you use around that area. Um, if you're using products around the eyes that aren't prescribed for the eye area, you have to be very careful with things like dermatitis as well, developing um, because of an irritation or too active or too drying. So, and yeah, I, there's definitely a place for them. I have seen, and this is where you do need to be careful, where people are worried about lines and wrinkles. I've seen on numerous occasions people using retinol around the eye area and I don't know if you've ever (laughs) anyone listening if you've ever used retinol around the eye area or used it as an eye cream you will know that that's not a great thing to do unless it is a product specifically formulated for around the eye area because it wouldn't be quite as strong Um, because literally I've seen people with literally red burning rings around the, the eyes where they've literally been rubbing retinol in and just unaware that they shouldn't be taking that up around the eye area. So that's not a great idea to do. There are some eye products that do have vitamin A in um, and they've been formulated for around the eye, but a regular rationale or retinol, unless the company says you can use it around the eye area, just be very careful because... People tend to overuse eye creams because they're so intent on trying to get rid of their wrinkles and then they can also result in eye irritation as well. Yeah, I've seen that um, happen quite a bit for clients as well. They've used the um, vitamin A around the eye area and it's caused huge amounts of irritation. Um, Even sunscreens, like sunscreen in eye products can be very irritating too, and facial sunscreen as well. I've got both. I've got an eye cream that does have a sunscreen in it, you know, designed for the eye area. Most clients it's been fine with, but some clients that have a sensitivity to certain ingredients in sunscreen, it can be quite irritating. So be careful of that and be careful of whatever sunscreen you're using. If you're putting it near your eyes, it can be, you know, quite irritating. And it can sunscreen can really irritate, uh, sting the eyes as well. That's the other, the other issue with SPF as well. So, yeah, but then we want that. SPF around the eyes to protect it as well. And then you want to put your your sunglasses on too to protect the eyes. Totally. Yeah, there's a fine fine line. And talking of eye creams, do you put your eye cream on before your moisturiser or after your moisturiser? I generally tend to put it on before 
because it will create just that bit of a barrier around that area just to prevent other products of you know kind of with the warmth of the skin moving um in the eye area so yeah I always put it on before mm, I do too I mean I guess it wouldn't matter too much but it makes sense doesn't it to put it on before yeah so totally. talking about layering then of products because this is another one that commonly gets asked and gets debated about a lot and different professionals have different views do you put a serum on before an oil no so when do you put your oil on if you use a face oil do you put serum then oil do you put it or, depends or, on the brand product i would put the oil first oh you and would then serum on top would you mm, yeah i've done it both ways because and i'm talking about a serum in like hyaluronic acid based serum so more water soluble hyaluronic acid tends to have a larger molecule so i feel like the oil product will penetrate it will go into that skin a little bit easier than what the water-based serum like a hyaluronic acid will and i find that the hyaluronic acid serum leaves a beautiful film on the skin and it keeps it a little bit more hydrated so i find doing that first actually really does help so I would do it the other way around, but I think it all depends on the product that you use and how that product is designed to be used. So it depends really ultimately on what that product company recommends. I find if you're putting a water-based serum on, that goes on, then you can sort of seed it over the top with the, the oil and it helps with the barrier. Um, I also find some oil, if you put the oil on first, then you put the serum it can cause pilling depending on what's in those products because the oil and the, the products in the serum quite often don't don't gel together very well and you can get pilling. Um, and this is, a, this is a topic that is very divided and different people will say very different things and it ultimately comes down to that particular brand and how that brand has been formulated as to what order to go in. So... I think with this one, there is no right or wrong answer. It, it really does come down to the individual product, um, how it's been designed and how it's recommended to use. Same with the moisturiser, you know. So would you put your oil on before your moisturiser or after? Moisturiser is different. Um, it depends on the brand and what I'm using. I've got a couple of different brands and their protocols very different. So with Biologique Regesh, for example, we put all our serums on first and then we put our moisturiser and then one of their finishing products is an oil. Right. That needs to go on last. Um, and that particular product helps to prevent transepidermal water loss. So, you know, it really comes down to the brand um, and how you're meant to use it. With a brand, for example, like Medicaid, there are some treatment for, uh, serums, for example, for rosacea, one of them is more of an oil base and that particular serum you need to put on under your moisturiser um, and even, you know, slide in the hyaluronic acid after that oil in between the moisturiser as well. So it really comes down to the brand and what you're using and how they're designed to be layered. And when you talked about peeling before, that is definitely a thing. So you know already if that's occurring, then perhaps you need to look at the order you're using your products in. Mm. Generally, I would do serum, then I would do oil, then I would do moisturiser. Um, mm. Or I would mix the oil and the moisturiser together. But it might be that 
the moisturizer goes sorry the oil goes over the top depending on on the brand and sometimes I like to just put a little bit of oil on and then just press it into the skin as a finishing product almost um, so it does depend individually but that's interesting that you use an oil-based product on rosacea because normally um, too rich a product on rosacea can actually make it worse I'm, I'm surprised it's an oil there is a product in that brand that it feels like an oil um, and you would use it on the skin because it helps to diffuse redness. It's very calming, very hydrating. So you would use that serum for that reason and it does feel like an oil. I wouldn't call it an occlusive product. It's nothing like that. It's, it's not very, heavy. very Yeah. Um, so you would use that first and get that ingredient in slide the hyaluronic acid on top and then put their moisturiser on. It's a really nice combination. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, so it's like an oil, but it's it's very light. It's very it's not occlusive in any way. So oils are, as you know, a little bit different. The finishing product that, for example, in Biologic Rajesh, you know it's an oil. It right. feels like you need to use that at the end of your routine. And I think as well, it depends, you know, some oils are very lightweight. You can use um, esters that feel very lightweight in the oil, then other more just pure plant oils can feel quite yeah. heavy on the skin. So it depends on the type of oil being used um, as to how heavy it's going to feel on the skin as well. So that's quite, quite interesting. I like an oil um, on my skin and particularly as I've got older, I find that my skin needs more oil because your skin tends to dry out, right? So when I was younger, I definitely wouldn't have liked an oil. And obviously somebody with an oily skin usually doesn't like oily feeling products either. But um, I'm quite partial to to a good oil as well. So um, I, think, I think used correctly, they can be great too. Yeah, I love oils. Um, and the right oil can actually make the skin look beautiful um it pro uh, protects against transepidermal water loss as well it just basically seals everything in and just makes the skin look so beautiful and glowy some clients don't like the use of an oil during the day because of makeup so they find that makeup putting it on top of that type of product the makeup doesn't really sit very well but you know you can use just the smallest amount and it still really actually helps the makeup to stay on better throughout the day and a little tip I learned as well is on a drier, more mature skin, once you've done your makeup, if you put a tiny drop of oil in your hand and then rub it together, then press it into the skin, this is more just for a finishing effect. It just yes. gives that beautiful radiance and sheen to the face um, without feeling oily. So quite often I will finish with that. If I'm feeling my skin's looking a little matte, I'll just put a little glow, a little glow on, a little bit of radiance. I agree. Um, I think it makes all the difference to the look of the skin. And um, I feel like when you're using, when you're layering your skincare and you are using an oil-based product that is designed to be more of a finishing product, um, you know, when you put your sunscreen on, it's almost like you don't really need to wear makeup. You know, it really does give the skin a beautiful finish. And if you're using a tint sunscreen that's healthy for your skin, um, you know, it can make your skin look incredible. And it basically lasts all day as well. The skin... Um, doesn't dehydrate so quickly. It just looks glowy throughout the day. So, yeah, I'm a 
massive fan of oils, in particular those oils more for a finishing product. They're really good. Yeah, I like it. I like a good oil too. But there's oil yeah. and there's oil, to be honest, because I've used some that are horrendous. They smell awful. They're really thick and heavy, and they can cause breakouts depending on the yeah. plant. Some plant oils actually can um, be quite congesting, and so even though you would think an oil product is quite easy to formulate, it takes a very trained eye, if you like, to get the right blend of oils. Um, and also to get that right texture. So it feels emollient and it feels nourishing without it feeling really greasy. So um, it's quite a, a fine art to get the right oil. But if you get a good one, then um, you can get some really good results too. Now, some, yes. something else I get asked, and this is interesting, what is the difference between face and body products? And can you use body products on the face? Mm. Do, do, do you get, do you get I that? I find a lot of men use everything everywhere. No, yeah, offense, no offense to men, but I they just like an easy life and they're just everywhere. Well, it's also because they probably don't know. They just think they can do it, but no one's probably even educated them. Oh, hang on, okay, there might be something better you could be doing here and use a facial product instead. Um, I don't feel like body products are suited for the face. Absolutely not. Um, whether it's a cleanser or whether it's a moisturiser, I feel like there's a very fine line um, where you can not and where you can use body products on the face. I think mostly body products that generally tend to be not suitable for the face. I mean, there are some products that are designed for face and body and it will say face and body and they're designed that you can use on the face and body, which I think is quite genius really because... How easy is that? In a perfect world, that would be so easy, but you'd have to have something that would be pretty well formulated to be able to use on the face and the body. I mean, you could end up in all sorts of trouble by using a body wash as a cleanser on the face. And I think think you don't tend to see them very much because it would actually be a really expensive product to formulate. If it was formulated for the face um, to be used on the body, it would actually be too expensive. so they do tend to be quite different. And the main point of difference really from a formulating perspective is say a, a face wash, um, for the body it would have more surfactants in for a longer spread and longer longer foam if you like. So the surfactant content would tend to be higher in the body products. So if you're then putting that on the face, it could be too stripping and too drying. And then the other thing is I'm not sure – if people realise, but the fragrance amount, whether it be an essential oil or an artificial fragrance or there are fragrant compounds that a lot of companies use to get around saying we're fragrance-free, which is technically not correct, but I've noticed a lot of companies will say we don't use fragrance, they don't use essential oils, but they use fragrant compounds like geraniol um, or citronelle or something like that. And it's to me, you might as well... Just say you've got fragrance in your products because they they're still fragrance compounds. Anyway, regardless of whether you're using fragrance, fragrance compounds, or essential oils, the amount that is allowed in a face body product is lower than what is allowed in a body product. So body products would have higher amounts of these fragrant compounds. So therefore, potentially more irritating to the face. So the body can handle 
higher amounts of ingredients. It's not such sensitive skin as the face. And so that's the main issue. If you're using body products on the face, the main issue is sensitivity because they tend to be higher amounts of of fragrant compounds in there, um, potentially higher amounts of emulsifiers and surfactants as well. So if it was a body lotion, it's probably got more emulsifier in it, which, as we know, too high an emulsifier could, depending on what the emulsifier is and what the other ingredients are in there, could cause some skin irritation and dryness on the face. So answer is no, you can't. I always actually used to think it's probably all the same thing, but it's not. Yeah, and that makes sense because when you think about per square inch of skin on the body in comparison to the face, there's more pyelosebaceous units on the face, more follicles and more pores on the face than there is on the body. So, you know, you can create some real irritation on the skin if you're using a body product on the face. Yeah, and I always remember actually I was was travelling, I was in the UK with Dave, good old Dave, Um, (laughs) and I think he was using, when you... On the plane, they give you these kits and they'll have, I don't know, body lotions and cleansing lotions. And he'd use that in the shower. It's like a shower gel. And he came out <laughs> and he was just covered in red blotches and had had quite a nasty reaction to, I presume, the fragrance in the in the product. To this day, he has actually got a um, body gel, body wash phobia because... It actually affected him all over. It wasn't just on the face. He had this rash all over his body. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh, poor thing. But he did have quite a strong reaction and he had used it on his face as well and he was like this big red rash all over his face that did last for sort of a good 24 hours, poor thing. Um, And that is why. So don't use body on the face, but he did have a particular reaction to the fragrance anyway. So he's he's a little bit sensitive, Dave. Poor Dave. Yeah, Um, I I do. I generally have a rule, you know, no body products on the face unless you can find that one thing that is formulated for face and body. But even then, I still question it if it's a cheap product. Well, even as well, um, quite often in the body products. So if you think about a serum on a face, they're quite small, aren't they? You know, they actually come in like a 30 mil container um, and they've got actives in there. So if you were doing that in the body, you probably have a, I don't know, 500 mil for the body 250 mil that's a very expensive product to formulate if you are getting the right percentage of actives so it'd be unlikely that you would get such a high percentage of actives in a body product it would just be too expensive to to formulate with so it would be more basic ingredients um but you would also need higher amounts of emulsifiers higher amounts of surfactants so ironically Body products are more expensive to formulate than facial products, but a consumer would not be prepared to spend as much on a 30 mil serum. Sorry, they would be prepared to spend more on a 30 mil serum than they would on a 250 or a 500 mil body product, which is why we don't tend to get these beautiful serums for the body because they're just too expensive to formulate with. Yeah, too pricey. That makes sense. I know that um, Biologic Majesty do. Um, a beautiful range of body products and they even have a p50 for the body as well which um, is beautiful to use ingredients are slightly different obviously because of you know in comparison to what you would use on the face but very expensive products to use um, but incredible quality yeah so yeah if you if you want to use something that is good quality on the body then you're going to have to pay for it mm. 
Mm. They are they are quite expensive. And is that is that the body lotion they wipe over? Do they wipe that over or they rub it in? Yeah. 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 Mm. Beautiful for skins that um well for skin on the body that's aging, um, any keratosis pilaris, um, sun damage, yeah, beautiful to use. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous. But yeah, incredibly like the price is up there, obviously, but you're paying for the quality as well. You know, it, it's a it's a fabulous product. The quality is there, but you have to pay for these products, you know, if you want something that's good. And my answer to keratosis pilaris, which is a little red bumps on the backs of the arms, usually comes mm. down to, to diet. Um, get more greens and essential fats in your diet. And I usually will put people on the Vitasol Purity and the Amigas. Goes. I I've, I've never had anyone that it hasn't gone. I agree. I've seen incredible change. As soon as I um, give client a meal guide that is um, going to incorporate a lot of green leafy vegetables, good fats, whole foods, give them the purity, the omegas, it is incredible what happens to keratosis pilaris. Goes. It, it literally goes. It disappears. It, it makes sense because it's just normalising the, the cells. It, it will go. So um, to me that's an... I actually get excited when I see keratosis pilaris, little red bumps on the arms, because I know I can um, help people with that. I've, I've never had anyone that I haven't been able to sort the keratosis pilaris out. Yeah, it's it's life um, and it's so simple. You know, the changes are so simple and it's just incredible how fast they happen. So simple. So <laughs> what else do we commonly get asked? How often should I have a skin treatment? Do you know yep. that I find it very interesting that most skin professionals, actually I'm being very generalistic here, I, a lot of skin professionals don't have regular skin treatment. When was the last time you had a skin treatment, Rose? Uh, last week. <laughs> Me too. I'm, I'm that. Um, I definitely give myself a very good treatment once a month. When I say a good treatment, that means usually a device um, of some sort. And in between that, I would be doing something that focused more on hydration and repair. So at the moment, I'm giving, um, going through a Morpheus A treatment plan. Um, so, yeah, I, I once a month do a treatment on myself. But, look, in saying that for clients, you have to really – prescribe treatments on an individual level and what you are trying to achieve with the skin. It all comes down to the consultation and what you need to regulate and normalise in that skin. Um, how old is the client? What's their lifestyle like? You know, how what's the quality of their skin, the condition of the skin? How much damage is there? What do you need to do to normalise it? So when you're first dealing with an acne problematic skin, you may need to treat them a little bit more regularly in the beginning. Um, but essentially every four to six weeks on average is what people should be coming into the clinic for a treatment. And that's affordable too because when it's every week, and sometimes it doesn't need to be every week if it's, say, acne or something like that, but when it's every week, unless it's for a course, maybe four or six weekly, but every week can get quite expensive because skin treatments can be quite expensive, let's face it. So I think four to six weeks, and it's something to look forward to as well. I look forward to going in for a skin treatment. So what about then, because I'm a control freak, I have, <laughs> I have trust issues and I'm a control freak. So there's very few people that I would go into and say, just do what you want, because I probably think I know better or like, I, I don't trust them. So you how, have had some bad experiences. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I'm a bit cynical. Um, so how do you feel when a client books in for treatment? Do you let them choose what treatment to book in or do you choose the treatment for them? I always choose. Mm. They never pick. Um, and that's something that I explain in the consultation process um, where I design the treatment plan for them according to what their skin needs, what their goals are, what they want to achieve, how fast they want to see their changes, what their affordability is, and how often they can see themselves coming into the clinic. So these are the questions that I always ask during the consultation process because then that enables me to determine what the best treatments are for the client. And then I schedule the client's um, appointments ahead of schedule and um, I work out the treatments for them. The only way that would ever change is if they perhaps have an event on and they're scheduled in for a procedure that could potentially have that, you know, a little bit of recovery or downtime for a few days. That's when things will change. Um, or if their skin is responding differently or they've had a round of medication for whatever reason, you know, there's lots of variables, you know, that can impact what you prescribe for them. Um, but generally I always work out their treatments. At the end of the day, we're the professionals. We know what's best. It should not be up to the client to decide what they need for their skin because that's when they get into trouble. I agree. And it's getting that that fine balance right, isn't it? Because it's to a certain degree, you don't want the client to feel almost bullied or overwhelmed and like pushed into having something that they don't want to have. But at the same time, you want that client to be part of a skin journey and to feel excited. Um, in the last podcast, I spoke about the fairy dust treatment I had, which was the, the red laser and the, the collagen mask and the hyaluronic, which I loved. It was really dewy and, and hydrated my skin. But what I really loved was the consultation process where we looked at the skin, we looked at it under the ultrasound and I felt like I was going on a journey of, okay, well, we're going to come back and we're going to readdress and see how your skin's improving, see how the barrier's improved, make sure you're taking all your supplements, <laughs> which of course I do. Um, make sure you're using your home care. And for me, it was actually, oh, this is actually quite exciting because I feel like I'm on a plan and we're going to do all these treatments and it's going to help with that. Um, so I think it's about working with the client so you can work out, like you said, what's affordable, what's within budget, what's going to fit into their lifestyle and then work a plan out rather than the client say, I want this treatment when in fact another treatment may have been more suitable for the skin. But at the same time, the client needs to have a little bit of control, for instance, if they're going to an event and they want something that's going to be instantly hydrating, they want to be able to book in for that treatment um, to feel like they've got a bit of radiance and a bit of glow. So I think there's all different treatments, there's all different treatment plans. My issue, I think, is, and I get time and time again, I get told by clients that they feel harassed when they go for a skin treatment that the therapist just pushes product at them, they get berated at the product they use. I know myself sometimes I'm waiting for the, don't use that, you should be using this, when I'm quite happy with the products that I'm using. Um, so I think it ultimately comes down to finding the right therapist, the right person that's going to be working with you without that heavy hard sell on retail that is where it starts to feel uncomfortable. And I think I, I told you, maybe we, 
I don't think we were recording at the time, but I always remember um, I was helping out in a skin clinic. It was at a weekend, and a guy came in for a facial, and he just put his hand up. He was quite rude, actually, but I totally understood where he was coming from. He went, don't talk to me about skincare. I don't want to know. I'm over the heavy cell. I'm just here for a facial. I was like, fine. I totally respected that. And then at the end of the treatment, sat down. I said, I'm not going to talk to you about skincare. I know you don't want the hard sell and I'm not here to hard sell to you, but I do just want to talk to you about your skin. Um, I just want to explain what I did today and what I saw in your skin. And he had acne cosmetica where it was like little bumps of under the skin. And I said to him, look, I'm certain that there's something that you're using that is too rich and occlusive for your skin and you're getting these bumps and congestion. And that was why he was coming in for the treatments. He was coming in for sort of extractions and clearing the skin. But there was definitely something that he was using that was causing that congestion, whether it was a rich, heavy product, could have been a hair product. I said, I want you to go home and have a look at your ingredients. Um and then he said, well, what do you think I should be using then? And I said, well, I know you don't want me to talk to you about product today. Let's just go and look at your ingredients. And then, you know, if you want to, we can we can look at what we could swap you on to. And he went, oh, no, just tell me now. I'll get everything that you say. But I wasn't coming from a place of trying to sell to him. I was purely coming from a place of I could really help your skin and I think I'm pretty sure I know what's going on here. Just have a look and see if any of this rings true because I think what you're using is actually causing the congestion. Anyway, sure enough, we swapped his products out. We got him onto a different skin regime, regular skin treatments, and his skin completely cleared. And it was purely down to what he was using. We didn't address diet, anything like that, because I knew looking at the skin, it was a topical issue of something that was causing the congestion. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a very happy... He, he got such incredible results. And it was just minor, minor changes that we made in his skincare regime. So I think there's a very fine line in how we approach talking to a client, whether it's coming from a place of concern and care or whether it's coming from a place of don't use that product, my product's better. That is when it gets my back up. Yeah, totally. And essentially what you did for that client was you gave him faith again. So obviously for him to have that attitude and have his wall up when you first met him, he'd already had previously bad experiences where, number one, no one heard him, no one listened to him, no one probably asked him questions about what he's concerned with his, with his skin and what he needed help with. Someone just probably gave him the hard sell and it probably happened more than once. Instead, what you did was convert him to such a place where he started to listen, he was educated, you hurt him, and then he took on board with what, you know, you recommended. I think that's brilliant and that's how we should be looking after our clients. Clients at the end of the day want to be heard, they want to be understood, and they want someone to help them. They will purchase the products that they need to fix their skin, but it has to come from a place of recommendation for what they need to get the results that they're looking for. There's no cookie-cutter approach here. Um, you know, you have to really... Our job as therapists is to prescribe products for clients because they need to get the results that they're looking for, but it has to come from a place that's genuine and with what they really want to see change. It's interesting because I was at an event um, a year or so ago now, actually, and I was I was there for Vitasol, and there was a lady talking to me about Vitasol and she was using it and loving it. And then I said, what do you use on your skin topically? And immediately she got really defensive. Don't talk to me about topical skincare. I'm using Dane and I love my Dane and nobody's getting me off my Dane. And I just said to her, um, 
The reason I asked what you were using on your skin is that your skin looks great. Um, and I said, if you're happy with that and it's working for you and your skin's looking amazing, keep using it. Um, she went, oh, oh, okay. She's like, just, I'm just over people trying to change my skincare. I'm really happy with what I've got. And I said, your skin's looking great, so keep whatever you're doing is working. Um, but it was just interesting her response because to be honest I feel like that too you know the minute they go what are you using on your skin I'm like oh god here we go again I'm going that's wrong that's you know and she was a classic example and the minute I said no keep whatever you're doing is working your skin looks great and she was like oh phew I was just like everyone's always trying to get me to swap out to something else and I love my Danae products and I'm going to keep using them and I went well they're working her skin did look amazing yeah and I get my back up when therapists do this because if there's a brand that a client is using and they love it and it's working and it's agreeing with them, why would you want them to change? What is the reason that you want them to change? If they need to perhaps um, diversify what they're using because you want to add in extra ingredients, look within that brand and educate that client, okay, if this is missing, we need to add this in because we need to fix this now or we need to address this concern that you have. Why would you completely ask that client to put those products aside because they have all that skincare and put them on a new range if there's no reason to do so? You know, I get my back up on that because that then shows me that that therapist have, has a different agenda for that client. Yeah. They're not really giving them what they need. They're just selling to them extra product. Yeah. And unfortunately, it happens time and time and time again. I, and I get that feedback and I've had it done to me as well. You know, I've multiple times I've been for skin treatments and I stopped going really because it was hard sell hard sell hard sell and I've even been in a situation where somebody was recommending a product saying you need this this is what's wrong with your skin you need to be using this and I actually said I'm already using that product how do you answer that you know you tell them yeah well your product's not working then (laughs) yeah that's right um Um, I think at the bottom line is um, doing the right consultation, asking the correct questions, and as a practitioner or as a therapist, prescribing from a brand that you know is going to work for that client. Yeah, yeah. And if it's working for the client and they've got great skin, then I think we need to acknowledge that they've got great skin. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, which is what we're trying to achieve anyway. You know, we want that client to have amazing skin. We want them to enjoy what they're using. We want them to really love looking after their skin. It, it's a beautiful thing that you look forward to at the end of the day. Some people want it to be quicker than others. Some people literally don't have time to use 10 serums. You know, if you're talking about a mother with four children at home, she's not going to sit there for 20 minutes and do her skincare. But then you have other people that love 20 serums and if you like if anyone's like me I love the fact that I can look at my skincare and think oh my god what am I going to use today and I enjoy that time to myself at night looking after my skin that is something that I do for self-care so everyone is just so different so skincare needs to be prescribed according to the individual person there's no point prescribing 10 products if that client's not going to use them Mm, absolutely and I think that's when it comes down to there's no one right answer. It's not sort of black and white with skincare. You know, there there are shades of grey. Some people may need more products. Some people may need less. We need to tailor it to the lifestyle. And I think it's about finding the right skin professional to work with that understands you and can actually work with you. And if you're feeling pressured by someone or you're not gelling, that's when um, maybe you haven't found the right skin professional 
and I don't think any client should ever feel pressured into using products. They should want to feel excited. You know, you, you want to be in a position where you're saying to the, the person, well, what else should I be using? What next? And, and getting excited. And if the client's not in that situation, the therapist probably hasn't done the right job in educating the, the client. And I think that's what it comes down to. So, you know, I think what we need to understand here is if somebody is really pushing their opinions and you know some skin companies some brands in my opinion create cults of therapists they create cults that you can only ever use that brand all the other brands out there are wrong these ingredients are bad um they don't look at things critically in my mind sometimes it's verging on malpractice the way that they mislead with marketing and if a client is made to feel bad about something, then that's probably a red flag for me. That that that's almost like a cult-like mentality of that particular skincare brand. And I don't think skincare should be like that. I want a little bit of magic with skincare. I want products to work. I want to be part of that um, that little bit of magic. You know, like you said, you've got all these products in front of you in the evening, and you can you can do your skincare regime, it needs to be enjoyable. There needs to be a little bit of romance with skincare and a bit of magic and a bit of excitement and that little bit of a luxury lifestyle for me. It's about I feel like I'm doing something good for my skin but I don't want to be berated by the therapist to say that that brand's good and this brand is better. It's about working together as a team, I think. Agreed. And our job as therapists is to take thinking away from the client. They shouldn't be the ones deciding what products are best for them. They are essentially coming to you for advice. They are coming to us to be told what they need for their skin. And, you know, when I think the agenda behind that therapist is not genuine for that particular client, if they're too sales orientated, if it's pushy, if that client feels obligated to buy something because they feel pressured, that is not the experience that you want with skincare. And I feel I have a lot of compassion for clients that have experienced that type of thing because, you know, looking after your skin should be a pleasurable experience. It's part of self-care. It's good for mental health. When we look good, we feel good. We're looking after ourselves. You know, doing your skincare routine at night, for example, when you wake up in the morning, your skin looks incredible. It changes your view throughout the day mm. of how you feel about yourself. You have more confidence. There shouldn't be a negativity associated around skincare or skin treatments. Um, this is something that we are able to provide for our clients to help improve quality of life. So, you know, I, I feel bad that there's that negative stigma around this type of thing, you know, because skincare is an excellent thing to do for yourself as part of self-care. Yeah, and that's that's a big red flag for me. If a skin therapist or anyone really is actually saying, don't use this product because it's got this ingredient, this ingredient and this ingredient, and they're pretty much scaremongering. So, you know, I heard someone say the other day, don't use this ingredient because it's got preservatives. Don't use this product, it's got preservatives in it. I'm like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> you can't just make blanket statements like that. Now, let's just say somebody did have an allergy to a particular preservative. Well, that's a different story. But just to make a blanket statement of preservatives are bad it's a very dangerous statement to be making or to say don't use this product because it's got a chemical SPF in. What if you've got a darker skin and you can't use a physical SPF because you look like a ghost, right? Mm. Or 
I find some physical SPFs make me look grey. You know, every time I use a physical SPF, Dave says to me, you don't look very well, are you okay? I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> but it gives me like this grey cast and I, I actually look in the mirror and go, oh, I don't look very good. And they're like, oh, yeah, I use that SPF today. So I personally prefer a chemical SPF. Or there are some mixed ones and there I'm sure there are some good physical ones. But my point being, when you scare somebody on an ingredient um, – with a pure purpose to sell your own skincare product, that is a huge red flag to me. Mm. Totally. And if you don't know what you're talking about, don't pretend. Find out the truth, find out the answers and ask the questions. I think as a therapist, it will show that you have more credibility and integrity rather than pretending you know something, you know? I think that's important. I mean, to give you an example, there's a skincare brand out there that um, bags out, they they promote themselves on clean science and then they bag out silicones in skincare. Mm. So there are a couple of silicones that got a bad rap for causing um, in the environment basically to wildlife and being, you know, toxic to wildlife. Those silicones are banned now. Um, so you, you can't add them to, to skincare. But the narrative, rather than explaining that, the narrative now is we do not use toxic silicones. So then the therapist was pretty much saying, do not use silicones, they are toxic and they will destroy the skin barrier. Now, that is a blanket statement that's just not true. And if anything, we know silicones will actually support skin barrier. They're used in wound care. They're used yeah. post-surgery. They're there to actually help prevent transepidermal moisture loss and help to um, enhance wound healing. So to make statements like that, it's just wrong. And the therapist was doing that because they've been taught by the, the company that silicones are bad when they're not. There are a couple of silicones that have been found to, to not be great for the environment. Um, but you're not going to find them in skincare now anyway because they're, they're having to come out of skincare. So I think that kind of misinformation that then becomes very misleading to the consumer, it then spreads through the whole of the, the skincare industry and then people suddenly think silicones are bad. Um, when in fact, actually, in the medical profession, they're used because they have great benefits and they are hypoallergenic and they have all these actually amazing properties and they're non-comedogenic but then telling a client don't use that because it's got a silicone in that is just misinformation and I think that's where we can do better as skin professionals that we need to raise the bar to spread the right information because otherwise um, the client will then just get alienated and go, oh, I don't want to go back there because I was made to feel bad about using this product. Then they'll do their research and find out the skin therapist was actually wrong anyway. Yeah, and how confusing is that for the client? Um, I know in the clinic here I use silicon-based products, um, in particular post-fractional, because it encourages the healing. I used to work for a plastic surgeon in Sydney and we used silicone-based products post-surgery. Um, for wound healing so they certainly have a place um, and I think just getting that right information across to the client is very very important. Mm, I think so and I think you know as I said some were seen as um, microplastics now they're being removed from products and so it's a, there's 
hundreds of different types of silicones and I don't think people understand that either. So I think it is important because I did see another therapist saying, oh, you know, don't use that product because it's got preservatives in there. And I'm thinking, but you've got other products in your clinic that have got preservatives and you're scaremongering on preservatives. That makes no sense to me. But they obviously didn't quite understand what they were saying. And I think before we start scaring people, we should never scare people to recommend a product. We should be recommending because of what that product's going to do for them rather than try and sell a product on what it doesn't have. To me, that's a huge red flag. And if someone's doing that to sell you a product and say, don't use that because it's got this ingredient and this ingredient's going to kill you, um, they probably don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, good point. That's a good point. 